0: Welcome to another installment of Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. At last, my guest today is Chris Flick, the creator of Capes and Babes. He's also a graphic artist and appears at many East Coast cons throughout the year. He appears at cons as a vendor and talks about what you should and shouldn't do, how you can best prepare yourself for your first con when you'll be selling your books and your artwork. Chris and I also talk about branding. How should one brand themselves? Do they brand their book that they're working on or do they brand themselves as a creator? Plus, we talk about his comic strip Capes and Babes and how Chris has put together different collections of those strips for different audiences. I hope you enjoyed my podcast last week with Ed Piscor. I was actually on vacation that week, but the podcast does not stop. I will bring you a new episode every Thursday, available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and on YouTube. So as we start to wind down the summer, I thought Chris would be a great guest to talk about cons. And since we have Baltimore Comic Con coming up in September, our conversation seemed quite timely and relevant. And after our conversation, I want to discuss a bit about my summer vacation that I mentioned during the podcast. I won't bore you with a lot of details, but I will mention some fun things that happened. And of course, I will tie in some of the comic books that I bought before that at a local comic shop to enjoy during my vacation because after all, the show's about creators and the comic books that they make. And writers and artists outside of comics, that'll be coming up in the weeks ahead. But now, let's get started with my conversation with writer, artist, creator, and member of the Web Comics Alliance podcast, Chris Flick. Here now, on Creator Talks. Chris Flick. Welcome to the show.
1: Good to be here. Thanks for uh, the invite. So you're working
0: in D.C., yes?
1: Uh, Yeah. Actually, I work in the Pentagon. So, you know, I really work in the D.C. area.
0: We can't talk about this then, right?
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, we can. I'm a web designer for the uh, digital media division of the Army.
0: Oh, excellent. Very good. Interesting. How's your commute?
1: For me, it's really good. I get on a, a Virginia, it's called the VRE, the Virginia Railroad Express, and it's uh, about 40 minutes 40 minutes from my house. So the railroad station is 10 minutes away from my house. And I get on there and, you know, it's about an hour. You know, the whole thing is about an hour. But but yeah, the train is nice and smooth.
0: Yep. No problem. Before, you used to have a heck of a commute. Didn't you have like a couple of hours?
1: That's how I got into podcasts. Anybody that works around in the northern Virginia area has 45 minutes to an hour and a half commute. It, you know, if you really want to make some money. And uh, that's what I had. I had an hour and a half commute. So uh, I just I started uh, listening to podcasts <laughs> instead of listening to radios and and, uh, and stuff. I just plugged my uh, iPod into my car radio and started downloading all kinds of uh, podcasts, a lot of cartooning podcasts, a lot of webcomic podcasts. And that's sort of how I got into it.
0: <laughs> that is the best commercial for listening to podcasts because there's no interruptions. You can pick up right where you left off. Can pick anything that you like, and it's out there.
1: And uh, for people who go to conventions, if you're travel like me, I I travel by myself. So yeah, I used to. uh do the same thing uh going on a four and a half hour trip listen to a bunch of podcasts and if you have friends doing podcasts it's almost like you're not driving alone you have them in the car with you so you're like having a conversation with them even though even though you're not participating
0: that's great yeah i mean i look forward to a longer drive so i can listen to a podcast but, oh, i gotta stop now <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, there's some fantastic ones out there i, I would suggest to people just uh, and do a search you know on, on iTunes and, and for subjects you like and you'll be surprised all all the, all the different types of things that are out there
0: Absolutely. Hey, what's the best thing that's happened to you so far this summer, entertainment-wise? What have you done, seen, experienced that you've really enjoyed so far?
1: We were talking before we started recording. My friend Don, Don Griffin, who's also a member of the Webcomic Alliance, uh, we went to HeroesCon together. I've been there many times before, but uh, this was her first time there. And then we had a friend of ours who lived in the Charlotte area. We got a Airbnb. Uh, we stayed an extra day. And uh, our friend who lives in the area is a chef, and he came over and cooked us a huge, delicious uh, Mexican meal. It was fantastic. We had a blast.
0: Yeah, I love Heroes Con. That's a great con. It really is.
1: Four days there. It was a beautiful weekend. It was a nice, relaxing, and... And that's the other thing that Dawn's got me into is uh, getting into Airbnbs. And uh, she's a queen of Airbnbs. So, you know, she got a beautiful house, found it. And uh, like I said, our our friend Dennis came over and uh, cooked us a great meal. And there was like friends and family came over. So we sort of had this like little party on Sunday night. And then we got up on Monday morning and took a nice little ride. And uh, it was just a beautiful drive.
0: Yeah, I've never used an Airbnb. And let me ask you, is that – More affordable than a hotel. I mean, what's the benefits of doing that? It
1: can definitely be. We're looking at one right now for Baltimore. So you know, you get a bunch of people together. Sometimes it can be um comparable to a hotel, but you have so much uh extra amenities. Like for example, HeroesCon, there were um me, Dawn, and two of our friends, and we each had our own bedroom, a big kitchen, so we could make breakfast every morning. You know, we didn't have to worry about going out to eat and spending money that way. Don came up to my house from Philly, and the night before we left, we went grocery shopping. So we knew what we were going to get. And so, you know, we had a refrigerator, you know, you have so much more space. If you get a bunch of people together, it's really worth it.
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So you split it up and then you can cook your own food, breakfast, lunch, and probably save yourself a good bit of money just on eating out.
1: And uh, for like Baltimore last year, we did it. And uh, if you're too far away, you can just Uber. You load in on the first night, you find a parking spot, or you all go in for an Uber and it costs like three three bucks a person and it's really, you know, it's super convenient.
0: That's a really good idea. I have to look into that. I know for this summer uh, in August, we're going to be going to the beach and this year we're going to just rent a house. That way there's a room for the kids, there's room for us, bring the food, bring the dog, you know, that way it's just a lot easier than trying to fit a couple of kids in a hotel because I've done that. Uh, it's tough.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> it's that's a nice thing about it. You got plenty of space.
0: Listen, I wanted to uh, pick your brain about some information, some knowledge that you've gained over the years. You're wise beyond your years, sir. So, besides discussing your webcomic Capes and Babes and your other work, I'd like you to share with the listeners some of your wisdom that you've gained through your education, your work, and your con experiences. To begin, you went to school for one year at the Maryland College of Art and Design, and later transferred to Radford University when you decided to get serious about art. Now, what made you decide to get serious, and how would you define serious? Like, what changed for you? And you're like, i got to really make a change. What happened?
1: I actually started getting serious about my art. Uh, it was a two-year art school. It, I, I sort of liken it to being a kind of like a an athlete going to, like, a big school. Like, if you're an athlete, and you have a scholarship or something like that, and you go to... You know, usually if you're a scholarship athlete, you're the best athlete in your high school, right, or your district. And then you go to a big division school and – Everybody else is just as good as you are. So you have to um, make a decision. You got to either you can't ride it out, or you got to stick it up, and you got to get serious about it. And that's how I was in high school. I was I was a good artist, but I knew I was one of the better artists in my high school or in my art class. But when I got to art school, everybody was either just as good as me or way better. And i was like, okay, I gotta, yeah, I gotta step up my game. But a- after a year, I, I realized that the art school was only going to be very limiting i had so many other things i wanted to do on it i think around that time i started getting more into i knew i wanted to be a commercial designer and not just an artist and i needed to go to a four-year college or in order to get that degree so that's one of the big reasons why i decided to, to transfer
0: reading through your history you've always thought ahead to the next thing. And we're going to talk about that. I, that's very impressive and it's very smart. And it's uh, good advice for the listeners who are going to art school or thinking of becoming a professional artist.
1: I can't say that it was all planned because a lot of it was accidental. <laughs> um, uh, really, I mean, like, I went to art school because I had some art talent. And I was always an illustrator, but I thought. Maybe I want to get an animation, maybe I want to be a commercial illustrator, but then I never really had a plan, and I think for me that's worked out. I never had a, like a, I know a lot of people had three-year plans, four-year plans, or whatever. For me, it was sort of a, I, I winged a lot of it. When I got to Radford, I, got into, I had a fantastic graphic design professor who also illustrated. So he was a big influence on me, and he also encouraged me to do more To put more of my illustration to my design work, when I got out of college, uh, one of my first jobs was at a newspaper doing um, design grunt work. But around that time, I started getting into some of the people who were working on on the same staff I was started getting me into – I mean, this is like 1991. The web was just beginning to, you know, to really form. And they started saying, hey, you know, you should get your art out on the web and you should make a website. And so I'm, I got more into that. I started, oh, you know, this HTML stuff looks pretty cool. I took a weekend course, learned how to do some basic HTML stuff. And then I just started getting into that. And uh, from there, and now I'm a web designer. So, you know, it, it was a it was a really weird Weird. Uh, I mean, I still do illustration. I still do design. The web and the illustration stuff. Uh, web cartoonists started coming around. I'm like, hey, I can do this. This is basically newspaper comic strips on the web. And it. And I was already getting into HTML. And I was already a web designer for a couple of years. I'm like, hey, this is cool. So, all the things that I did through my entire. Our career all sort of came into place at once. So it was sometimes those happen. It's sort of, you know, the simpatico type of things.
0: Well, it's interesting. You, know, you didn't have a plan. And I don't know if you found this, but some things you just don't know what's there, what opportunities there are until you get into it and start to explore. You know, like I didn't have a roadmap laid out for me. Like I didn't realize there were certain opportunities available in a particular field until I started to work in the field.
1: Yeah. And it's just like, it's like conventions. Um, When I got into uh, web cartooning, I knew immediately I had gone to conventions as a fan, and I said, you know, uh, about that same time, I said I started wanting to get into tabling at conventions, so I started talking to people, and lo and behold, uh, 2008 was my very first convention at Heroes Con, and uh, the convention bug hit me big time. I had so much fun, and eight years later, I'm uh, you know, I'm talking to you. I got, I'm part of the Webcomic Alliance. I've done 15 to 20 shows a year, so people start asking me questions and, oh, how do you do this? How do you do that? I'm, I'm heavily involved in lots of different conventions, and I know a lot. It's just you never know where where life is going to take you, right? So, I would say you got to be open to all kinds of possibilities.
0: Now, you hit cons mostly within striking distance for you that you can drive to because you have to take all of your stuff with you.
1: The nice thing about it is it being here on the East Coast, there's lots of shows. When I say 15 to 20, I'm also I'm also including these one-day or a little library show here or something like that. So I include all of those in there. But for the big shows, big like two- or three-day shows, those are in the five or six on the double-day shows, and then there's a whole bunch of little shows.
0: Are there any shows that you have been to that you now shy away from? You don't have to say who, but were there any that just didn't work for you as a creator? Was it just not profitable or, you know, were there reasons why certain ones you said, uh, I've done it, but I don't think I want to do that one again."
1: There's a few. I mean, uh, like some of the smaller, smaller shows, they can be really hit and miss. So Mm -hmm. so like uh, last winter, I did a bunch of little one day shows and just didn't make any money. I'm like, nope, not going to waste my time doing that anymore, you know. (laughs) But then, you know, then you have another another small show. You don't think it's going to go great. And you go there and it's fantastic. I'll tell you a short little story. It's uh, Ocean City, Maryland. Last December. Their very first show. So I committed to it. It was a one-day show. Driving there, started snowing like crap. I mean, it was heavy coming down in Maryland. And I started getting worried. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know about this show. Next day, I mean, it was rainy. But, you know, you showed up. They had a fantastic turnout. So you just never know.
0: Yeah, you got to try that first time just to see if it's going to work out. <laughs>
1: And I ended up having a fantastic show. And But the night before, I called my wife. And like, I don't think they're going to be making any money at this show. But, <laughs> but lo and behold, yeah, it ended up being one of my better shows.
0: Well, as you said, you've been going to cons now for over 10 years or almost 10 years. And you wrote a book, Conventional Wisdom, putting together all the knowledge that you've gained. And if someone wants to go and table an event, things they should know so they're prepared, can you share a few pearls of wisdom just to kind of give us a taste of what's covered in the book.
1: I talk about different shows, the price rings, bringing money. If I got two big, huge Rubbermaid boxes, I'd show pictures of how I pack. And my whole thing is I want to get everything on a dolly. I want to make one trip. I almost like do a 3D Tetris when I pack. Yeah, I mean, I talk about, I also talk about um, promotional type things that I do with postcards, where I get postcards. Uh, just like I do with uh, some of my Capes and bath books, I tried to put anything and everything I could possibly fit in there.
0: Is there anything that you've found that a first time congo or tabling often makes the mistake of doing or not doing? Is there some very common mistakes a first timer does? when they go to a con
1: the very first thing and I put this in the book is they don't have a, a table skirt what that means is just a drapery over your table a lot mm-hmm. of people forget that it's uh, but I feel like that's the most important thing because one of the things I talking about the book and we've said in a web comic alliance podcast you want to make your table be your store you want to act like a store so I think the two biggest things that they, a, a new timer could do is get a, a skirt for the table And get a pull-up banner behind their table because those two things will make you stand out from all the other people who are doing it for the first
0: time. That's a good point because some conventions, some places, depending on where you go, they provide the table skirt. But you can't assume you're going to have a table skirt. And you also can't assume you're going to have chairs. You might get – they might give you one or two chairs and that's it. If you want more, you have to pay for the additional (laughs) furniture.
1: And I already invested in a good fold-up chair anyways, because even the chairs you get can be very uh, uncomfortable.
0: That's true. Folding chairs, (laughs) the old folding chairs, metal.
1: Yeah, I went to my local Sam's Club and got a $15, really high quality, nice, comfortable plastic fold-up chair.
0: Now, just as important as it is to be at your table, meeting people, greeting people, is it important also to have someone help you cover or have time to get away so you can network with other people in the business
1: I think it's important to network a lot of the networking comes after the show and that's actually sometimes the coolest aspects of shows and it takes a while to it's like anything like you're like a new kid in high school it takes a it takes a while to find a group or to find people to hang out with friends or you know find out where where all the cool kids are going to dinner after the after show, you know, so to speak. So, yeah, that, that was a cool aspect of Heroes is that the uh, all the pro, all the industry professionals stay at the West End that's right next to the convention center in, in Charlotte. And uh, you can hang out in the bar and you can talk to all the people who work in the comic book industry and, and you can pick their brains. <laughs> and that was one of the coolest aspects for me for the first two years of going to Heroes is I got to – know a couple of cool artists and see them every year and get to know them. That that's the cool part about it. I'll walk the convention floor like early in the convention or late in the like on a Sunday show or something like that. But most of the time now I'm just uh I'm at the point now where I got commission work that I can't leave my table because I just uh, sometimes I get too busy. But I would also say that sometimes if you're having a bad show that sometimes it's good to walk around just to get away from your table.
0: Well one of the things you do at your table And it's become very popular for you, is caricatures on blank covers of comics. What is one of the most unusual requests you've ever had for a caricature in terms of like what hero to use?
1: Well, while they're when the uh, minions and Despicable Me were really popular, I I did a lot of uh, you know minion mashups and stuff like that. But I had people who wanted me to draw them as minions, you know, do caricatures of them as minions, and that was that was really weird. I had some really weird ones. I'm like, okay, this. You're not going to look like a minion, but okay. <laughs> but, but that's what they wanted, so. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, mostly uh, I've done, I did caricatures in high school, so people aren't familiar with sketch covers. They're just variant comic books that have the blank covers, and that's actually been really popular for me. I can sell those things by saying, you can be on the cover of your very favorite comic book and, and things like that. So and, and, and then I have samples of my caricatures, So so that helps a lot too.
0: You must have read a lot of comic books growing up. What were some of your favorite comics and comic strips? So
1: I'm showing my age here a little bit. So I was always a big John Byrne and George Perez fan. So I grew up reading uh, all the John Byrne X-Men and uh, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Teen Titans. I got into Matt Wagner's Mage when I was in high school. Uh, The comic book store that I based Capes and Babes on, uh, I used to hang out there all the time. And that's why I based it on on the comic strip. But... Now, in terms of comic strips, Jim Davis, Burke Bradford, who did Bloom County, obviously Calvin and Hobbes. It ranges all through uh, Beetle Bailey, uh, really anything in the newspaper. I mean, that, that's what, that was one of the cool things at the newspaper gig that I had out of school because I got to color the Sunday comic strips. That was really cool. So yeah, I, I have a big influence on you know, obviously Charles Schultz and stuff like that. A couple years ago, Dawn talked me into going to a show in, in Cleveland and afterwards, she set up a private tour for the uh, Cartoon Museum on Ohio State. That was fantastic.
0: Now, when you worked at the uh, newspaper, you also did some editorial cartooning too, didn't you?
1: Um, once I found out, I did illustration. I got to do a couple of cool illustrations here and there. They had this Halloween uh, writing contest for kids, and I got to do a cool illustration for that. And I did some, did some spot illustrations here and there.
0: <laughs> that's really cool. I, that's one thing I don't have in my collection that I'm surprised that I haven't put it in there, and thinking about your work and doing the editorial cartoons, one thing I have to get is like a collection of Thomas Nast political cartoons. You're familiar with this uh, particular artist? Yeah. I I thought that stuff was so cool growing up. I don't know why. I just liked the way he used those illustrations and some of the crazy stuff he came up with. And I gotta find a collection of those because they're really neat.
1: Herblock was fantastic when he was alive, and the Washington Post. Uh, I never did any editorial cartoons. I, I get kind of <laughs> weirded out by that because you know you gotta be all or nothing on those things, and I admire the people who do that. And I have friends all over the political spectrum, so I, I, I was always afraid to piss people off. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? I don't want to make them mad. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know how I feel about certain things, but you know when I do something like that, I can get really you know you gotta be. I, you almost have to be angry sometimes, I think. You know, to get your point of parts. So I'm like, oh, I don't want to be that guy.
0: Yeah, you can't be wishy washy. You know, <laughs> you got to be one way or the other with that, with yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hear you. <laughs> now, we talked a bit about preparing for cons. Now, what have you learned? And this would be helpful for everybody who listens to the show who is an artist or a writer. What have you learned about branding yourself? What are some good tips about how to brand yourself? That's
1: a fantastic question, Cruz, because
0: that's one of the biggest,
1: toughest decisions I think for a web cartoonist creator has to make. Do you brand yourself as a comic strip or as yourself? Me, I made the decision that Capes and Babes was going to be my brand and I was going to be secondary. Now, though, I'm beginning to change that a little bit when I go to shows. I, I've been to so many shows now, and, and I, I've since my new job with the Army, I've slacked off on updating the comic strip, but people know me at the shows. So now I'm branding myself more as Chris Flick of Capes and Babes instead of just Capes and Babes.
0: I do the same thing with the podcast. I kind of – since I am <laughs> essentially the producer of the show, like if I'm not here, there won't be a replacement next week. It's <laughs> – it's got to be me, so I have to tie it closely to the brand. But since you mentioned capes and babes, let's talk about that for a bit. Now, I know you were doing that for a while there on a very regular basis. And it's about a strip mall, a comic shop, and one crazy werewolf. And yep. Now, one thing I want to point out, this is not for kids.
1: We were talking about my career. I just kind of winged it. When I started, I was really into Danielle Corsetta's Girls with Slingshots and Brad Geiger's Evil Ink. So I wanted to be more like... Edgy and all these other other things, and but for me, it's kind of a weird thing because I have a very kid-friendly art style, but I was writing a very what I'd say a shows I'd say a very uh, family guy PG thirteen type of humor. <laughs> So yeah, but there's some strips in there that are not meant for kids. And I was doing it consistently for eight years, three days a week. I, yeah, I hardly ever missed a deadline. But then the last three years, my web design stuff got really heavy. So, you know, I've really fallen off the wagon in terms of doing the strips. When I go to Baltimore, I'm always in the kids' corner sections because I always do a panel about drawing my werewolf character. So I have to be very careful about what I put on my table in Baltimore. But what I've done there is I've taken all my Capes and Babes G-rated strips and put it in a mini book so I can put that on the table. You always have to think about your audience, too.
0: When I say it's not for kids, I mean some of the jokes I think would go over a kid's head. Like They'll laugh at it for one reason and the adult will laugh at it for another reason, you know, on a different level.
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I originally intended it not necessarily to be for kids. I right. definitely I wanted it to be for teenagers on up. But I found that now that kind of limited me. I, if I could do things differently, I would do things differently. But, you know, that was the way that the webcomics were going back in 2007. Everything was supposed to be – if you wanted to get out there, if you wanted to be popular, you had to be edgy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, the, the werewolf was originally supposed to be a horny werewolf and not a crazy werewolf. So I made that change because at the time my daughter was 12 years old. She's like, Dad, I can't tell my kids, I can't tell my friends my dad makes a horny werewolf. I'm mean, like, okay, I'll change to a crazy werewolf. So, you know, yeah sometimes kids are your best editors
0: now why a werewolf as a character were you a fan of werewolves as a kid growing up either in the movies in comic books
1: no the creature of the black lagoon is my favorite monster
0: oh okay right. That is a great, great movie. I don't know about the sequels, though, but the first one was really, really good.
1: He was always my favorite. I, I was always fascinated by him. I saw a picture in an old black-and-white monster movie thing with the whole creature standing up with his arms spread. I'm like, oh, that is a cool creature. That's a cool monster. I had done a, a comic strip or a website as a, like a promotional thing, and I did everything wrong that you could possibly do in web comics. I based the characters on real people, so... Uh, the writing got very limited because I didn't want to make fun of my friends. So it was sort of, it was very, it was very sort of into that editorial cartoon thing, right? So I made fun of myself a lot because that was the only thing I could do that I knew I could get away with. I did a once a week strip for four years, and then I. Painted myself into a corner. I ran out of ideas. Because of the fact that they were real car- real people, I was very limited in my writing. So when I sat down to get serious about doing Capes and Babes, in college, Capes and Babes was always going to be a sort of like an autobiographical, but it didn't have a werewolf in it. It was going to be like real serious, all the stuff that I was into in comic books. And I kept shelving that and shelving that and shelving that. Then when I decided to do a, a comic, I had this concept already a comic strip about a comic book shop the concept was there and i had some characters that i had based it on but i knew that it, it needed a gimmick and i didn't want to do a talking dog i didn't want to do a talking cat so i said you know what what's the next best thing uh, a werewolf <laughs> a werewolf is a dog or a cat it was amazing once i had the werewolf character down all these different ideas it was just like this huge huge wellspring of ideas that i could go anywhere with this and then and then the werewolf um led to a zombie who led to a, a vampire and i said oh that's cool all these monsters are hanging out this comic book shop that's bizarre that's weird so you know the weirder it got the more i got into it it was just it was just one of those things i knew i didn't want to do a talking animal so i just did a, a
0: werewolf instead <laughs> Well, what better place for monsters to hang out than at a comic book shop? You know, people dress up, cosplay, they fit right in. You know, they're not going to look odd. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that was one of the jokes
1: I had for a long time, is that my werewolf's character name is Roy, and he would go to comic book uh, conventions, and he'd win the costume contest for Best Werewolf, and he'd go around (laughs) and say, I'm not in a costume!
0: (laughs) Now, the strips are up on your website, Capes and Babes, and you also have collections of those in paperback if people wanted to pick up a copy, a hard copy and have that to look through.
1: Also on Amazon, so search my name and uh, Chris Flick and you'll see all the different books that I have.
0: And you will have those at cons or if you're in Kids Corner, they'll be under the table and you have to say the secret word? Or
1: <laughs> Yeah, that, that, uh, that's, that's the hardest thing is when you're going to shows, every show has different table spaces like some have six-feet tables, eight-feet mm-hmm. tables, ten-foot mm-hmm. tables, things like that. It gets to be a real juggle when you have multiple copies. So you have to figure out how many copies you're going to bring of every book, things like that. What I've done for the last year is I put a best of. I have four books of all original content and then I bring the best of. If I don't have space for all five books, I'll just put the essential books up there. And if people are interested in, in having uh, volume one or volume four or whatever, I'll have them under my desk. So they're available, but you know they're not always on my desk.
0: I just want to circle back to a couple things we were talking about: comics and the comics you read as a kid. Have you kept all of your comics you had growing up?
1: I have uh, tons of uh, uh, long boxes in my garage, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I have a couple of uh, Calvin and Hobbes collections, a couple of peanuts, you know, the trade paperback collections, that sort of stuff. But yeah, I have a ton of long
0: boxes. <laughs> Do you have a favorite in your collection? Like, let's say, I mean, God forbid, you know, House is on Fire. Everybody gets out safe. Everyone's fine. You have time to get one book. And I've thought about this in my head. Like, if I could grab one book, or I'd probably grab one box, what would I save if I had, could save that one from the flames or from the flood? Is there one that's precious to you?
1: I, I'd be in trouble because I don't know where it is it's in one <laughs> of the long boxes. But um, my friends who, who know me know that I'm a, um, I'm a Marvel fanatic and I'm a big Taskmaster fan. Taskmaster is a B-level supervillain. George Perez did a cover of Avengers 196 with him on the cover and yep. That's my prized possession. That's the one I would be searching for.
0: I can picture that cover. Yeah, that's a very striking cover of the Taskmaster. Yep. It's
1: green, and he's the only one on the cover. It's him. Uh, He looks like Skeletor for people who don't know who I'm talking about. Right. And Mm -hmm. uh, he's holding a sword. And it's actually Taskmaster's second appearance because he actually appeared in the last couple of pages of 195. (laughs) <laughs> but he's on the cover in 196, so, yeah, and, and I got a, I have an ink of, a, I redesigned a shield, and I, um, it was on a bucket list, so my wife got a tattoo, and she talked me into it, and I said, okay, I know exactly what I'm doing, so I have a shield on my left arm. <laughs> That's <laughs> my mom and dad's chagrin. They hate it, but you know I, I make sure I always wear sleeves when I go over to the house. They can't see right. the tattoo. <laughs> but that's how much a fanatic. Uh, and I've had friends who, and that's that's the other nice thing about when you do conventions for a while, and people find out your your likes and stuff. I had a, I have a friend of mine who um, always brings me any kind of Taskmaster thing he finds, he brings it to me. So I have a couple of Taskmaster uh, dolls and keychains and stuff like that. So that's
0: pretty cool. Is there a comic book that is the holy grail for you, one that at some point you hope to acquire within reason? We all have the books we really want, but there's also budgetary concerns. Like some things are just not going to happen for me probably ever. You know, like Fantastic Four, number one, in condition. Not going to happen.
1: That 196 was – because Taskmaster – well, you know how R.E.M. was for a long time a college band and then they got popular and people were like, I liked R.E.M. when they were in college and all that, you know. (laughs) Well, that's how Taskmaster was. Taskmaster is, uh, I'm surprised that he's gotten so popular in the last couple of years. And A lot of it has to do with the fact that he's been teamed up with Deadpool and stuff like that. But for a long time, that issue, it was in high school, I don't know, sophomore year or something like that. A friend showed me that issue and he said, oh, I think you're going to love this character. And he's right. I fell in love with him. I'm like, this is cool. And I started trying to get everything I possibly could with anything Taskmaster related. And for the longest time... I could not find that 196 years before I got into conventions. But, you know, I would go to these mall shops or these little one-day shows and things like that where it just – we call them long box shows, right? Because there's just dealers and dealers and dealers. And I would go through all the Avengers and look in there. I got – I finally found that for two bucks. And it was a many many years ago and I got it, you know I got it in a, I got it bagged and boxed and you know, put away and and so nothing ever happens to it but now the last convention I was at there were a couple of dealers that had that book up for 200 bucks I'm like wow. yeah I'm like but but I asked I asked one of the dealers about it I'm like what You know, Taskmaster, what the heck is going on? I mean, I I love the fact that he's getting popular. He's like, oh, it all has to do with Deadpool the movie because they were thinking that possibly now that Marvel and Fox have worked out the movie rights and everything that he might end up being a a movie property. That's the one issue that was was sort of like a, oh, I finally
0: found it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, there's something else that you contributed to recently, I believe – uh, cartoonist draw blood it's an anthology yeah. now is that f- to support the red cross
1: yeah yeah so uh my friend carol bolewski i hope i pronounced her last name right so caroline uh, she got me involved in that it's a bunch of local comic creators in the washington dc area and around october And they might do it a couple of times a year, but one time I was able to participate, it was uh, Red Cross Blood Drive, and a bunch of cartoonists showed up and they draw pictures for anybody who donates blood. They did an anthology last year and I couldn't participate, but this year uh, I was able to finally come up with a four-page story. And so, yeah, that should be out by uh,
0: Baltimore. Okay, and how would people acquire a copy of that?
1: We're trying to get all of our pages in by the end of this month, and I think it's only going to be at shows, but I'm not sure. But but people can uh, Google um, Cartoonists for Blood, and they can find out if they're going to put the anthology on sale or online or not. I'm not sure. I know that uh, whoever participates in the anthology gets a bunch of copies, so I'll have copies on my table.
0: Okay. And what do you have coming up? Now, you're going to be at Baltimore. I'm going to try to go
1: to the two-day Halloween show in Virginia in Richmond. Um, and then I got a bunch of little shows all the way up until December. Very good.
0: Now, I have some questions that I ask all my guests. I call them fun questions. I don't know what else to call them. I haven't found a brand for them yet. <laughs> I'm just working on that. But they're just fun questions. Uh, and the reason for them is to learn more about you as a creator, as a person, so as to get to know you better. So, First question, very simple, like what do you like to do for rest and relaxation when you're not working for the Pentagon, when you're not doing your art capes and babes?
1: I was a baseball player in high school, so I'm actually in a 45 and over baseball uh, recreational league. So I do that on, on the
0: weekends. Excellent. Keep moving. That's great. Yep. Yep. Very good. Now, thinking back to a birthday, any birthday in your lifetime that stands out in your mind, it was very memorable. Which birthday was it? and why I'm
1: not sure which birthday it is but um any birthday where you get a bike that's awesome <laughs> that's the most awesome birthday so, so yeah there was there was a couple of times where I got a bikes for my birthday so those are always the ones that stand out
0: <laughs> and thinking back to when you were younger when you were like a teenager, age 12 14 years of age what kind of posters and pictures did you have in your room that adorned your walls
1: Again, I'm going to show my age here. So I had uh, the original Star Wars posters. I had a couple of Dynamite posters. Dynamite (laughs) magazine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had some of those. Maybe I probably had a Herbie the Love Bug poster, probably. (laughs) Uh, I was a big Kiss fan growing up, so I had some Kiss stuff on my wall. One of the coolest things I had was uh, being a Marvel guy. I ordered the uh, the Mary Marvel Marching Society poster, a little tiny mini poster by Michael Golden. You got it in one of those mm-hmm. Marvel comics where you clip it out and you put in a couple of uh, proof of purchases. And it says takes four to six weeks it must have taken like a year for me to get that thing <laughs> and but it, it, it i had it up in my college dorm room it went with me all over i finally got a, a nice lithograph one from him at at uh, baltimore one year but that thing was i taped it up it was, it was glossy paper but man it wasn't it wasn't, wasn't that big but it folded up in a bunch of squares and it went everywhere with me and it got so worn out i had scotch tape all over it
0: <laughs> that's great <laughs> that is excellent during the same time period, and we're around the same age. So, what did you have on your turntable? Because we listened to vinyl before it was cool. Because it was the only thing besides cassette date track. So, what were you listening to?
1: Yeah, I didn't have a turntable. It was always cassette tapes for me. And uh, my very first cassette I ever bought. And, oh, that was a, it. Sort of goes back into the birthday question. Um, my grandmother got me a ten dollar gift certificate to a, and you probably remember this, uh, Montgomery Ward's, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So it was a Montgomery Ward's uh, $10 gift certificate, and I bought Kiss Destroyer on cassette tape, and oh. I worked that sucker out. <laughs> uh, That's was still my favorite song. Peter Chris is still my favorite Kiss member, and I would just play that over and over and over again. <laughs> but yeah, some of the uh, music uh, I listened to back then, let's see, um, my dad got me into Neil Diamond, so I was a Neil Diamond guy. I was uh, into Rupert Holmes. We had the album, the pina colada album i had uh, a couple of kiss albums a couple of uh, village people (laughs) 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 yeah yeah a lot of you know i grew up in the 70s so i was a 70s kid but definitely definitely kiss was the big band for me kiss destroyer
0: you know people may laugh about village people but when i was a kid growing up that was a big deal I mean, oh, yeah. all the kids in grade school loved it.
1: My wife got me uh, years ago when they did their um, reunion tour. I got to see all four members uh, live. So that was that – was, uh-huh. I got – yeah, I saw Kiss four times live, two with all the original members. And then uh, I think uh, I saw the first two were with all the original members, and the third one was Ace had left and Peter was there, and then the last one – and Peter both left, but so, so I didn't feel like I got to see Kiss, but you know it was it was
0: fine. <laughs> I know Neil Diamond is popular, especially at weddings. You know, Sweet Caroline. But he did a live album. Oh, wait, it was like Hot August Night or something like that. Have you heard of that, his live album?
1: I just listened to the stuff my dad had. So, and, and I got him a, I got him a couple of uh, Neil Diamond greatest hits and stuff like that. So.
0: If you have a chance, like see if you can find it on iTunes or something. Cause he did, I think it's called Hot August Night or something. It's a live album. I wouldn't say overall it's exciting, but the first three songs kick butt. I mean, if you're like, ah, I don't like, no, no, give it a listen because it's a great no, I know, I know you live. did a Christmas album. Oh. Okay, but this is a good live performance. This is like a lot of energy, so if people are skeptical. Check it out. My uncle had that album, and when I was growing up, he'd play it. He says, "Listen to this." And I'm like, "Yeah, okay, whatever." But now I'm like, "Oh, that's really good." <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, it might be it might be a cool little gift to get my dad for his uh for his birthday or something. It's a
0: great idea.
1: You Neil Diamond stuff you haven't heard before, dad. <laughs>
0: Now, this question requires a little more thought. Hypothetically, if you were stuck on a deserted island, what is the one book you would want to have with you?
1: One book that I would really... Man, that is a really good question.
0: Any, um...
1: Peter David Star Trek books. And it could be Next Generation. It could be the uh, any, any Next Generation Peter David uh, novels, because those are always good.
0: I haven't read any of his stuff, but I know he has written a lot of Star Trek stuff. And he's very well known for that, not just the comics.
1: Some of his Next Generation novels are really cool because he ties into... The original series. He goes into like the history of the Gorns and uh, what I call the Cornucopia uh, episode. Do you remember that one where the big ship goes into like this little Cornucopia thing? It was supposed to be a board killer. The way he ties in Next Generation to old Star Trek stuff—that's really cool. As soon as we finish, I'm going to be like, "Oh
0: crap! I know <laughs> this book and this book and this book." <laughs> that's all right. It, everybody does that. I, I'm the same way. Oh, I should have seen that. <laughs> and here's another hypothetical. A toy company says, Chris, we're going to make an action figure of you. You have a say in this. What would be your accessory?
1: Oh, well, that's easy. You got to go with the Kung Fu chop. Okay.
0: Kung <laughs> Fu, the G.I. Joe Kung Fu. Yeah. Grip. I remember those.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah you got you to gotta go with that.
0: <laughs> you know, I still have some of my G.I. Joes from when I was a kid.
1: Do you have Netflix? I do. Have you checked out the uh, documentary series, The Toys That Made Us?
0: No, I'm writing this down.
1: The Toys That Made Us, it's very good. They only have like four or five episodes a season. I think they're on season two. They have a G.I. Joe special, and it's it's really informative. Uh.
0: Okay, I want to check that out. And
1: they're entertaining, too.
0: I have, like, the full size from back in the 60s, in the early 70s. Yeah, talk, yeah, yeah,
1: they talk about the 12-inch the figure. I had that. I had the, uh, I was a part of the G.I. Joe fan club, and I got the magazine. I got all that stuff. Yeah, they don't exist anymore, but
0: yeah. I have little comic books that came with the sets that they had of the uniforms and various accessories. Yeah, so, And they're all beat to death, but they had little comic books now. Uh, what, sir, is your beverage of choice when you're resting and relaxing?
1: Uh, are we talking alcoholic or non-alcoholic? Well, alcoholic. <laughs> so alcoholic, I have uh, two favorite drinks. I have vodka and it mixed with anything. <laughs> okay. And I, well, I, I'll put three. I'll put vodka mixed with anything. Um, I'm an Angry Orchard guy. And for beer, I like uh, Bud Light Platinum. Bud Light Platinum is really strong. I don't like a beer with a really hard aftertaste. It's really right up my alley. And for non-alcoholic, I've been drinking a ton of Arnold Palmer's, half and half.
0: Very refreshing in the summertime. Yep. Now, my final question. What is the one question that during an interview that you would like them to ask you, something you want people to know about you that they don't know?
1: One of the coolest things about transferring to Radford was I got to be a university mascot for two and a half years. (laughs) Really?
0: (laughs) Did you try out for that?
1: Surprisingly, no. I grew up being a big uh, San Diego Chicken fan. People who know mascots, you know, the Philly Fanatic, the Chicken. I just went into the athletic department one day and I said, is anybody a mascot? And how do I... Become one. The mascot at Radford—they changed it since then, but he was called Rowdy Red. The best way I could describe it was he was a six-foot-tall Elmo. <laughs> he looked exactly like Elmo, and he, but he had a uh, tardan hat and uh, he had tartan shorts, and that was the mascot. And I'm like, uh, how do you do that? And he's like, oh, uh, the guy uh, who was who was Rowdy Red last year graduated, so the job's yours, kid, if you want. <laughs> It was that easy. I, nobody else, you know, nobody else was interested or, or had anything. So yeah, it was uh I lost about ten pounds every basketball game. <laughs> that's that's how that's how incredibly hot it was in that seat. It was a fun, fun experience. But one of those things
0: that check it off my bucket list. <laughs> wow. And you know the nice thing is you don't have to be embarrassed. You're in an outfit. No one knows who you are.
1: That's one thing I've never had a problem with embarrassing myself. <laughs>
0: All right, Chris, the best way to find out about your work and see samples of it or purchase, you can go to your website, Capes and Babes. That's where everything is, correct?
1: Yep. Um, You can also find me on Facebook at Capes and Babes, uh, Twitter at Capes and Babes, Instagram. I'm at Chris Flick Art.
0: Chris, thanks so much for being on Creator Talks this evening.
1: Yeah, this is fun. This is fun. It's it's good to good to be interviewed and not doing the interviewing. <laughs> People are interested. Um, Don Griffin and myself, we're members of a podcast called Webcomic Alliance, and it's just webcomicalliance.com. And we're on a summer hiatus right now, but in the fall, we'll get back to doing two podcasts a month. Everything's free, and you can check out the website at the same
0: URL. It's a good podcast. I do listen, I do subscribe. So. Thank you for bringing that up and sharing that. I appreciate that. (laughs) I meant to do that.
1: Hopefully, you found it fun and informative too. So
0: it is. I learned a lot from it, and especially people that are doing web comics, it's something you want to check out. It can help you get some ideas, learn from some experts. It's helpful.
1: One of the podcasts we do is Issues. That's what we call it. We're all each five of us. So, oh, I'm having problems with this, and we try to, you know. Troubleshoot or come up with different ideas to help and things like that. Don was uh, now this wasn't part of the podcast, but uh, on the way home from Heroes Con, Don actually gave me the idea for the uh, for the cartoonist draw blood anthology. I was racking my brain with a four page story, and and we were able to in that six hour drive. <laughs> She was able to help me come up with an idea. So, you know, (laughs) big credit to her. So that's why, you know, you need friends out there. You know, doing cartooning is a very solitary life. So it's good to listen to podcasts. It's good to be a part of podcasts. You never know when you're going to get these relationships going.
0: Absolutely. I encourage everyone to check it out. And again, I appreciate you being on the show. Again, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. And as mentioned, Chris Flick and Dawn Griffin will be at the Baltimore Comic-Con at the end of September. So you can find him there if you're on the East Coast. And I also have a special event that will be occurring at Baltimore Comic-Con. Stay tuned. More information on that as we get closer to the convention. Now, I'll tell you who's coming up next week. I have two podcasts coming your way. But first, let me update you on my family vacation recently returned from that one glorious week in lewis delaware never been to lewis delaware before it's a beach down in sussex county along the coast of delaware took the whole family down the misses, the two boys even my daughter stopped by one evening to pay a visit and we rented a beach house so we could even take the dog. The only one that didn't go on the trip was our betta fish, of all things. You would think that'd be a natural fit being at the beach for the fish, but no. The fish stayed behind. Renting was easier with the two kids. They had their own bedroom, more space for the dog. You can have a dog at the rental. And it costs about the same as staying in a hotel. So it was more convenient. We could make our own meals there. It's a lot of fun, well worth going a lovely historic town there in Lewis, very similar to Annapolis, so if you like that kind of setting, it's a good family vacation spot. We were on the bay side of the beach, which opens out into the Atlantic, right where the Cape May Lewis ferry crosses, down that way, and the water was very calm, you can actually just float out there, there aren't any harsh breakers, so if you have little kids, it's very kid friendly. So it was a nice vacation, it's something we're probably going to do again next year, and I did tweet out and post on Instagram a few photos of some of the nice brews that I found down there at the Crooked Hammock and at the local liquor store a special Megadeth brew. It was a very nice light and refreshing saison. So light that my wife even liked it. It wasn't a bitter IPA. So something a little different but very suitable for the spring and summer time. But this is a show about comic books and the creators that make them. I would be remiss if I did not mention the books that I picked up at my local comic book shop the comic book shop. That's the name of the store. They had their half off sale of all the books in the bins and 25% off case books. So I took advantage of the sale. And if you are a member in good standing and you pick up all of your books before that weekend, you can start the sale early and take advantage of those discounts on Friday, the day before the sale begins. Now, my knowledge is not that great of DC Comics. That's my weak spot. So I picked up some DC books that I had my eyes on when I scouted out in advance, and I picked up two books, Justice League of America, issue number 101. This is an issue where we have a meeting of the Justice League and the Justice Society of America. And it was written by Len Wein with art by Dick Dillon and Joe Giella. The next was Justice League America number 124, co-starring the Justice Society once again, and they were all killed by the JLA. This book was written by Elliot S. Megan and Carrie Bates and drawn by Dick Dillon and Frank McLaughlin. And in this book, it's a very meta book, we have Elliot S. Megan, Carrie Bates, and Julius Schwartz appear in the comic book. So that alone was worth the price of admission, and I enjoyed those both very much. So I'll be looking for more of those comics in the near future to add to my collection, and at some point, you will see them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Creator Talks Pod when I post my Saturday Silver Age and Sunday Bronze Age from my collection. Other books that I picked up, a copy of Rawhide Kid, number 68, When Stalks the Cougar. And what's fun about this, it's written and drawn by Stan's brother, Larry Lieber. And he does a really good job with Rawhide Kid. This is number 68, 12 center, a lot of fun. I like reading a lot of the westerns now. I never really followed those, but I've started to dig into more of the Rawhide Kid, Two-Gun Kid, Kid Cult. And since I was headed to the beach, of course, I had to pick up some copies of The Submariner. Number 45, a 20 center, The Tiger Shark Strikes... That one has an appearance of Johnny Storm, The Human Torch, and it was written by Jerry Conway with art by Maurice Severin and inks by Jim Mooney. And that one's from 1972. I also picked up Submariner number 54. That is a 20-center. That is from October 1972. The other one was from January 1972. This one has three stories for the price of one. The first story is a new one by Bill Everett. He does both the writing and the art and it also has a appearance by Sunfire. The second story is, ties in more with the cover of the book, Battles the Mare Mutants. And this one, this little gem in this book is by Mike Friedrich with art by Alan Weiss. And the very last story was a reprint of the last issue of the Submariner from the 1950s. The submariner gets a lesson in humility from Nomura. So this is an old Bill Everett story from the 1950s. What a great way to pick up this story, without spending a fortune. So a great comic overall. But that was not all. I went back and bought more comics. I could not help myself but take advantage of the great deals. X-Men Annual Number no. Three. That was a uh, issue by. Chris Claremont with art by George Perez and inks by Terry Austin. So that one I had my eye on and I had to get that. That's a 1979 X-Men annual. And we all know the Fantastic Four are back at Marvel. Issue number one just came out a little while ago. Well, I picked up a copy of Fantastic Four number 158. That one is from 1975 with story by Roy Thomas, art by Rich Buckler, with inks by Joe Sinnott. And this book is beautiful, beautiful condition, and these were on sale, and on sale it cost me five bucks. I'm not kidding, five bucks, beautiful gloss, great copy, flat, clean, can't wait to get into reading this one, I haven't had a chance to yet, The Macabre Menace of Zimu the Merciless. And you can buy this book on sale there, I got this for almost the same price as a brand new comic book, That's insane. And I also had my eye on this, the last Marvel team-up issue with Spider-Man and the Uncanny X-Men with a cover by Barry Windsor Smith. It's issue number 150, and it's written by Louise Simonson, penciler Greg LaRoque, inker Mike Esposito. I mean, listen to these names. These are legends in the industry. This is an issue from 1985, so I'm glad to have this. That's another one I have to get around to reading. But the coup de grace, the ones that I stumbled over while I was in there— I went that day, Saturday, right before the trip, and these were all on sale, half off. They just got in a new batch of comics, hundreds, thousands of comics, and among that collection was a run of Avengers from 101 up. Again, all on sale, half off, and I mean, I went through and cherry-picked because, you know, I got to watch the budget, can only spend so much, but when these appeared, I had to get my hands on them. Avengers 101, picked that up, beautiful issue from 1972 it looks like yep 1972 and get this story and plot by Harlan Ellison adapted by Roy Thomas with art by Rich Buckler and inks by Dan Adkins five dooms to save tomorrow now I already had a copy of 102 so I skipped ahead to issue 103 and pick that up the Sentinel strikes the Avengers fighting a Sentinel on the cover issue number 103 again from 1972 Roy Thomas, Rich Buckler, and Joe Sinnott. Then I cherry-picked this issue, The Avengers number 110. It has Magneto on the cover. It says, I did it. I, Magneto, have destroyed the X-Men, and the Avengers are next. A great cover, Gil Kane, clearly his art. This one is drawn by Don Heck on the interior, and it's written by Steve Englehart. And the inks for Don are Frank Giacola and Mike Esposito. And these books are all in fairly nice shape. I mean, they're not near mint perfect, but they're, you know, up there. They're like a high fine, very fine. And they're all about the price of a new issue because of the sale. And the last three that I bought, they were all Avengers Comics number 116, 117, and 118. Why? Because these are the issues That were the Avengers-Defenders crossover that also take place in the Defenders. And we know they'll be coming back this fall to Marvel Comics in a five-part miniseries. These three issues are 20 centers. They are written by Steve Englehart with art by Bob Brown and inks by Mike Esposito. So I've been looking for these for a while. And to have them all sitting there right in front of me, I had to grab all of them. And I can't wait to dig into them. I have to get those Defenders issues to add to my collection so I have the complete story, all parts. So I read a lot of these while I was on vacation, but not all of them, because I couldn't bring them all, because it's too much to bring. Plus, I had books that I had to read to prepare for interviews coming up, and one of those I conducted today, as I speak to you, and they'll be coming up right after Labor Day. But coming up on Labor Day is kind of a back-to-school special. Scotty Young and Aaron Conley join me to talk about their comic, Bully Wars, through Image. It's coming out on September 5th, a very special day, and I explain in the podcast why So I'll have that out on Labor Day, a kind of back-to-school special, my interview with Scotty Young and Aaron Conley. Until such time, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Pod and check out my website, which you can also get to through CreatorTalksPod.com. As I mentioned previously, on the weekends, I post my Silver Age and Bronze Age comics from my collection. I explain who did the books and if there's a significant reason why I picked them up. If it's an early one from my collection or I found it in a special place or it's something that has a significant part about the story. Like, for example, the writers actually appear in the comic book. I mention that. So there'll be two episodes next week. You can find the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, and even on Amazon Alexa devices. If you like what you hear, please rate and review on iTunes. Even a star rating goes a long way to help the show. Spread the word and tell a friend. For Creator Talks, I'm Christopher Calloway. Until next time.